0: Yeah, it was a few weeks before Christmas. Students had gone home. Everyone was, you know, hanging out, not really doing very much. And suddenly, bang, it just went It just went up. Emergency
1: broadcast number three, this one is. Uh, you are listening to 4 ZFM Public Radio 102.1 on the dial. However, we are not transmitting from our studios in St. Lucia.
2: Only because there's people that are stopping us
0: from doing so.
1: Yes, but we've been sneaky this morning because they've been very snooty this morning.
0: I, I got a call at just after four o'clock in the morning.
2: I heard over the radio station, they were broadcasting it.
0: Jumped in my mum's car and drove to Triple Z and by then they'd already taken over the station.
2: Come down, come down, there's something going on.
0: And there's a group that went up to the transmitter. With a
2: super scope that we had that was set up to play a loop
0: and so they were broadcasting from the super scope up on the mountain saying basically saying to people get get your get your butts out to St Lucia because they're trying to shut us down so
1: what we need you to do now is you need to come out to the station and show your support and we'd like you to make a phone call as well David (laughs) (laughs) David's just in shock it's a pretty horrible thing to wake up to 4.30 in the morning you're waking up to this it's incredible it's actually happened what's We've been under threat for the last, you know, uh, six months or so. Has actually happened. The student union have um, are literally
0: trying to take over the station. People just came from everywhere. People were tra- people were travelling from you know different parts of southeast Queensland to be there. It was awesome. Like something of huge crowds.
3: The, the security guards, have hit
1: have hit a number of people.
0: Angry scenes at Queensland University today after the Students Union closed down radio station 4 Triple Z. Staff and supporters of the radical FM station grouped outside the campus studio to protest the closure, alleging harassment by the union. And we we're just so busy trying to survive the eviction. We had no money. We were, we were bleeding people. We were, you know, we were struggling just to keep our heads above water. And and suddenly we saw this steamroller coming towards us. Yeah.
4: In
1: this is From A to Triple Z, an original 4 Triple Z podcast series diving into the station's archives to explore the patchwork past, cultural significance, and incredible stories of Brisbane Community Radio 4 Triple Z. I'm Max Rowley, and this episode is about a nighttime raid.
4: Victoria has now left the premises.
0: An existential crisis. For Triple Z, it, which was already having an existential crisis, it was just piling another existential crisis on top of it. And a theft.
2: And on top of that, then Triple J decided they wanted to do the same as us.
1: This is how Triple J stole the Hottest 100.
4: Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say steal. I would say, I guess, you know, borrowed the
0: idea.
2: Everybody knew the Hottest 100 was Triple Z's. And even they knew.
0: And that's where we laid it on the line to them and said, look, we're going to go to court. I I don't think we had the money to pay for that or I don't think we had the... um, I don't think we even had lawyers (laughs) to to take them on.
1: The story begins in 1980. Andy Neal had just finished uni. He was young, political and looking for a job. And I'd been
4: in the last year of high school when uh, what was then called Double J started in Sydney. And Double J was fantastic because they played all this music that commercial radio would never play. They had fun comedy bits. They had journalists that did different political reporting to what you got in the mainstream media. And while I'd thought uh, Double J was fantastic in Sydney, when I heard Triple Z in Brisbane at the time, I just thought, wow, how good is this radio station? Andy had gotten a taste for the station while on holiday up north. And Triple Z was just playing the best music.
1: And the politics on air was absolutely fantastic. Which was important. At the time, Queensland was under the grip of the conservative Bielke-Peterson government. And
4: particularly when you had Joe Bielke-Peterson here with this pressure cooker of oppression over everybody, Triple Z was communications central for the
1: resistance. I you kids... I heard you swearing, I'm
2: putting
1: you on And it didn't take long for Andy to get immersed in Queensland culture, well, police culture. You know, heard about a
4: Right to March street march that was on via Triple Z, uh, got myself arrested, at, uh, walking out of King George Square across Adelaide Street, up Albert Street with my mate, who I, you know, <laughs> got, a, got immersed in uh, Queensland.
1: Street marches were banned by the government as part of a widespread crackdown on civil liberties. But that's a whole other story. If you want to hear more about the riots, protests and police intimidation back then, and triple Z journos bent on exposing the murky underbelly of Queensland politics, go back to the first episode of this podcast. Good morning, Mr. Peterson.
4: Anyway, back to Andy. Yes, yeah, so I, I was in love with triple Z and so when I actually saw a job advertised there, it was like, wow, and you know. Caught the overnight train up from Sydney to do the interview with about a dozen people sitting around grilling me for over two hours on every aspect of music and politics and then uh, had to do a graveyard shift to prove I could do it and um, went back to Sydney and got rung up a week later to say I, I got the job. And it you know it was an, an amazing time and probably, as far as creative freedom goes, was probably still... The best job I ever had that was the most fun
1: with the most creative freedom and the most personal control over what I did. And that's a pretty big statement for a guy who went on to shape the course of radio in this country, but we'll get to that later. Working at Zed, Andy says the station had a real professional ethos. It was the early 80s, though, and they knew how to have fun.
4: And, um, you know, people had come into the station sometimes because the audience loved the station. And people would come in and, oh, we just bought you in this bag of grass. Or somebody you know donated this. Oh, we've got this old car that's still got a few months rego on it. You know, Do you want it? Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so,
1: um, you know, Vince the Valiant. Um, and driving around in Vince the Valiant, the dial was always glued to 102.1 FM for triple Z. You never changed the, the dial because...
4: <laughs> You got everything. You got better quality news of what was really going on in the world than what you got in the ABC. You had the best music soundtrack. You had local information about every gig that was on in town that night or what was happening, and there was no reason to change the dial.
1: And while Andy was working there,
4: he made a discovery. I was looking through an old Radio Times and saw this thing about, you know, the Hot 100 or whatever and talked to Anne Jones about what was this? And I said, "Oh, that sounds
1: great! I'll, you know, I'll, I'll start that up." The first Hot 100 had been in 1976, and so Andy started it up again at the end of 1980. And you had to vote for 100 songs. You, you voted for
4: 100 songs. Um, and you'd write them out and send them in. Whoever's 100 songs had the most 100 songs the same as what was in the 100 would win a prize. And yeah, so it was a, it was a big event, it was certainly, and that was a lot to
1: basically have me go through and manually write down names of songs. It was popular. And so Andy did another. But after two years and two hot 100s, Andy's contract was up and it was time for a change. He went back to Sydney and got a job with what was now called Triple J, back then a Sydney-only station.
4: It felt like a step sideways, I'd say, rather than a step up, because uh, you got paid better, like even though we were reasonably paid at Triple Z, as I said at the time, it was a you know, higher rate of
1: pay and much more resources. A few others had already made the same move prior to Andy, and Triple Z had a good rep down south. You know, you did have John Woods and
4: Stuart Matchett in the studio down there and people from Triple Z did have, you know, a real edge because it had been honed and sharpened against Joe Bielke-Peterson.
1: As a young man, Laurie Zion remembers hearing Stuart Matchett on Triple J as he was driving up from Melbourne.
3: <laughs> Once I got past Goulburn, I'd put on the call sign for the station and and really hoped that the crackle would turn into something I could really tune into. And it's one of those drives, I think, that I remember listening to a program and someone rang up and made some kind of homophobic joke. And I just remember that the announcer, who I think was the late and great Stuart Matchett, just cutting them off and saying, oh, we don't we don't actually think that sort of human funny. And, you know, in the area we live in now, it might be hard to really give a sense of just what... A revolutionary rejoinder that sounded like then, that someone was being pulled up for doing something that was in really poor taste, but that the station itself had the confidence and the announcers had the ability to still be doing, you know, really fun radio, but to actually be able to say, well, I'm sorry, but this is unacceptable.
1: Fast forward a few years and Laurie had gotten a three-month traineeship at Triple J. It was 1988 and the ABC had decided they were going to restructure the station. You know, At the time, Triple J uh, had
4: been in about a five-year audience decline and they decided that every job in the station had to be re-advertised and refill it and restructured. And I basically wrote in a, a job application that You know, the opening paragraph was something like, let's face it, unless you do something radical, you're going to close Triple J down in 18 months.
1: Andy's argument basically came down to this.
4: You know, it wasn't hitting, wasn't getting that younger audience, it wasn't getting the audience out in the suburbs. The youngest person in the station was 25 and they were the station receptionist. Musically, you know, the programming wasn't as diverse as it could have been. And my analogy was commercial radio was just like a sponge cake, you know, Triple J should have been like a really rich fruitcake full of all these different little bits of nuts and different bits of dried fruit and goodies and, you know, a bit of rum mixed in there and or whatever. <laughs> but at the time, Triple J was like, the fruitcake was all clumpy and stuff was clumped <laughs> together, whereas we wanted to have a much more, here's a much more diverse, you know, mixed in fruitcake. And so that was the kind of programming policy analogy I think I used at the time.
1: The vision, Fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Andy got the job. Meanwhile, back at Zed, there'd been a real exodus towards the end of the 80s.
0: Triple Z was financially pretty screwed when I got there. Like, the, the heyday, it was living off its good rep. Stefan
1: Armbruster started volunteering at Zed in 87. By then, the money had dried up and they'd gone from 14 full-time staff to living off the dole. Zed had seen better days.
0: For me, it wasn't. I was just there going, wow, here, I'm here at triple Z, This is awesome and it's going off. But uh, once I'd been there for a while, yeah, you know, I, I, was, I ended up being company director at 19 because they needed someone to put their name down and I had no idea what it meant, but it sounded cool. So I, they put my name down, so I was recorded in company's house as a company director. I had no idea what the legal implications or anything of that was.
2: It had been forgotten a bit, if we're realistic. Anita Greenhill. It was down in the studio theatre and down under the Chanel. and it didn't have it it had lost a lot of its listenership. And I think the student union thought it and the and the political feeling at that time, they thought it would be fairly easy.
1: It wasn't. After occupying the station for around 10 hours, Union President Victoria Brazzle and members of her newly elected Conservative Party were escorted from the studios. Resign!
3: Victoria is being ushered through with security guards. The security guards are continuing to hit people as they go through. The students, although they're shouting resigning are quite angry, are not touching Victoria or hurting them. Victoria has now left the premises with the security guards.
1: But they weren't giving up that easy.
4: Despite a day of peace talks, a question mark still hangs over the future of Queensland University Radio Station 4ZZ. Yesterday there was a reprieve after the students' union tried to shut down the station, but there could be another move to close it next week.
1: An unintended consequence of the student union's failed attempt to shut down Z. Was an outpouring of support for the station, including from former staff who'd
0: moved on to Triple J. To me, they were heroes. Like they, they, they were heroes on the airwaves. So I'd been listening to them since I was I was a kid, and a lot of them had left and moved to Triple J in the years between when I was, I was listening as a 14 year old and when I eventually ended up at Z as an 18 year old. So I, I knew that I knew their voices. I knew a bit of their personalities, and when we got shut down, they were there. They, they, there was, there was people who came up from Sydney. There was, you know, they were offering us support. They were, they were broadcasting about what was happening to us. Uh, they organised the joint effort at the Paddington RSL to raise money for us. You know, they, they wanted us to survive. They were willing us to survive. Meanwhile,
1: afraid of another late night raid, Stefan and others were camping out at the station, and upstairs student newspaper offices also under threat.
0: Quite a lot of people ended up living in the station.
1: I slept for, I don't know how many nights, in the old library. Anita Greenhill joined Zed during the eviction.
2: When I heard that it was under, you know, under attack, that's why I thought, well, oh, no, that can't be right, we've got to get involved.
0: We, we were sleeping there overnight. We basically you know, had a 24-hour occupation of our own, of our own station.
2: It just didn't seem to stop.
0: And it, it was quite a mad party in a way that was going on in amongst all of this and but a lot of people at the same time were burning out. Yeah, you know, there was there was there was a core of people who were working really hard to keep this all going. But you can't run on empty for that long before you start hitting walls and crashing. Yeah.
1: And the student union was set on kicking Zed off campus. And eventually they succeeded. Zed was given an eviction notice.
2: Well, we knew it was going to happen and it did the right-wing dominated student union executive finally called a council meeting to ratify the eviction notice issued to Triple Z on the 22nd of December. It was a farce.
0: And
1: while they put up a fight,
0: it was dawning on them that they would have to leave. There was no contesting it effectively. We had no grounds. We had no piece of paper that actually gave us uh, a lease. There was talk that there was a piece of paper, and there, there, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's all these mythical things that used to exist um, uh, that people talked about. But there, there was the documentation was really quite poor, and some people probably would have hoped that it would have been the end of us, that it would have would have caused us to shut down. But they, they didn't know how how determined we were that we weren't going to be shut down.
1: And so. Stefan, Anita, and others set about finding the station a new home.
0: We didn't have el- like elders, really. To you know, we, like the day-to-day stuff was done all by a bunch of kids. You know, we were all teenagers and early twenties. You know, we we're just making stuff up. So we we're looking at houses. We couldn't find a house. We couldn't afford a house.
1: And so, as a temporary fix, they found the next best thing.
0: So we we got this beat-up old caravan that we could drag up to Mount Cutha that was a mission in itself like fitting out this caravan and getting you know being able to broadcast from from the mountain yeah
1: anyone who
4: did do shows
0: uh, at the hut you know <laughs>
2: will talk about it how dark and scary it was
0: and eventually in desperation we signed a lease on the Tuong building
2: and it was very cheap like peppercorn for 3 years
0: yeah, it was yeah, we just had to we just had to do something. It was it was really if we didn't want to it was that or nothing.
2: We didn't we wanted wanted the, the smallest um, lease we could possibly get because we knew it wasn't ideal cuz it was just an office space, glass window at the front and just a big shell empty.
0: I don't know why they leave and let us sign a lease for that place.
2: We had ages where we only had the studio and then the rest of the whole place was boxes and boxes of records.
0: And, and I, I left during the Tuong years. Tuong was awful. Tuong was, uh, it was like a pressure cooker. It was really, it was too small for what we were and we, really, we were really getting, you know, it was, it was hand-to-mouth existence. We didn't know, yeah, what was going, what was going to happen. We, to us, we're living really living day to day.
1: And as this is happening, Triple J announces they'll be going national..
2: A big day in radio right across Australia. The day the Triple J links up with Melbourne from Sydney and soon right around Australia.
0: We'd just been kicked off campus. We'd had no money. We were in the Toowong Studios, which was just a shit show, and suddenly we saw this steamroller coming towards us, and here we were, tiny little Triple Z, you know, basically a street kid um, <laughs> in its path, and uh, we uh, really, we really felt threatened and you know, it wasn't that we were anti-Triple J. These were our mates who were working down there. We we had the same outlook on many things at that time w- for what it was um, because this was driven from further up. This was politically driven by ABC management and by the federal government, though the federal government wasn't tipping any money into the ABC to do it.
4: We got the transmitters. We had no extra money. I had the same budget as the Sydney station to go national with. That's right. Andy Neal had just become manager of Triple J. And, you know, I think I'd started as station manager and I'd been there about two weeks. And one of the people that was there was a trainee who was from Melbourne called Laurie Zion and came to me and said, oh, Andy, you know, come meet him. And went, oh, yeah, come on. What do you want to talk about? I, I kind of wrote down a few bullet points on a piece of paper. He goes, oh... I think um, we should maybe try doing a a top 100 like the Billboard 100.
3: Where we polled listeners
4: about what their favourite songs were. And I said something
1: like, funny you should mention that, Laurie. (laughs) For Laurie, the idea had come from two magazine articles. The first was Rolling Stone, a critic's poll of the 100 greatest songs of the last 25 years. And in the top 20, all but two songs were from the 60s.
3: And it kind of seemed odd to me that in 1988, what did you have to do, you know, in terms of songs in the 80s to get into a list like that?
1: That's when Laurie was flicking through Triple J's library and read an article in New York street paper, The Village Voice. It was by a journalist called Barry Walters.
3: And he really made the argument that your personal whim was everything. It's what you like that matters. And that's the point of popular music, not what critics tell you is the best. And that's kind of how I've thought about music in my life as well and it really resonated with me.
1: And all this made Laurie curious. Had the station had a listener poll before?
3: And I asked and the answer was no and I got the sense that there was an element within the station that was concerned about what a listener poll might reveal and the big fear was that it would turn out with a number one, like, stairway to heaven or something like that that wasn't necessarily... You know what the station felt represented, what they were doing.
1: But Laurie took the idea to Andy anyway.
3: And promoting it, make it really clear that what we want is people to be, you know, what we call now maybe guilty pleasures, to really just own up to what they like. And he just kind of said, yeah, I love it. Because,
4: you know, it had been really successful in Brisbane and I said, you know, we should call it the Hot 100, not the Top 100, because the Hot 100 sounds a lot better than Top 100. And, you know, you can run it. So
3: I guess then it became a question of, okay, what's the logistics and how will we do it? And um, I do remember at one point Andy suggesting I use an exercise fork.
4: And Laurie then with people in the kind of computer side of R&D came up with some program for helping, you know,
1: calculate the the results instead of doing it by hand like I had.
3: At the time, I think the station had either one or two computers and there were 30 or 40 people working there.
1: But even with a computer, they didn't have a program to count the votes. So there was a guy in
3: IT who we got in touch with at the ABC called Bert, and we basically had to go to him and say, can you design us a program that can actually tabulate votes that are coming in?
1: Well Laurie had only intended for Triple J's Hot 100 to be a one-off, like Zed's, it was a real success. And so they did another the next year, as Triple J was rolling out nationally.
0: They weren't actually on air in Brisbane at that time yet. They'd gone national in other places in Australia, but not in Brisbane. But, um, like, they obviously promoting it on air and we'd heard about it. And yeah, we weren't impressed.
1: The Hot 100 was still going up in Brisbane. And it had been all but one year since 1980 when Andy Neil started it up again.
0: We were it in Brisbane at the time. You know, there was nothing else to listen to in terms of alternative music. So everyone who listened to Zed knew the Hot 100 was coming up, everyone was, you know, mailing their Hot 100 in, and, you know, you didn't have anywhere else where you could hear this music. So, you know, everyone was interested to see what everyone else liked and what, you know, what the consensus number one was. And
1: so, when they heard about Triple J's Hot 100, they were pissed off.
0: So they posed all these other threats to us, and then on top of everything else, it was like, well, and now they're doing a Hot 100, but that's ours.
2: That was funny, actually, because everybody knew the hottest 100 was triple Zs, and even they knew.
0: Some of the triple Z people who were in Sydney are saying, well, you know, we we created the Hot 100 and we're just doing it on a different station. But it was like, well, no, you're you're doing it on a station that's also going to then be competing with us here.
2: I ended up having to I wrote a letter and threatened threatened them to that this was our intellectual property, that they needed to not use Hot One Hundred, or they needed to acknowledge. and they they actually they tried to do it at exactly the same time, which was the really thing that annoyed us.
1: Back then, the ABC officers were across the road in tawong so they set up a meeting with them.
0: And that's where we laid it on the line to them and said, look, yeah, we're going to go to court.
2: That Certainly, maybe they talked about legal action. They didn't take any. We couldn't get them to back down. They knew they were bigger. But we had a, little good, a good fight for a while.
0: We were, we were fighting for what was ours. And uh, yeah, that's what, that's what we threatened to do. And I don't know um, what they decided, but um, they decided to slightly change the name and put our an est on the end of it. And um, yeah, we won.
1: Did, was, did that feel like winning, though?
0: No, not really. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, it was, what else could we do? Yeah.
2: We were realistic about who we were, and they they knew who they were. They had a national um, licence. We were nothing compared to that. So we just shook hands and moved on with it. Wasn't? And they'd never been really hostile to us. OK, the most hostile thing was using the hottest 100, but you can see it's a good idea. You can see why they'd want to do it, I mean. One of the
1: episodes we actually were thinking of calling how Triple J stole the hottest one hundred.
4: Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> well, well what would I, you say to that? Uh, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't say steal. I would say, I guess, you know, borrowed the idea. And when at that stage, when we did start it, we hadn't got permission to go national and Triple J was in a different city. And again, it was something I was gonna do get round to doing anyway. Um And but Laurie came up and said, hey, what about we do this top 100? And as I said, oh, well, funny about that, Laurie. (laughs) I mean, I'd never
3: been to Brisbane and I'd never heard the station. So that was, you know, so, so really I wasn't, you know, at that time, I wasn't aware of any kind of controversy. And if I had been aware, I would have acknowledged that.
4: And it was a fantastic idea. And I think it did start at triple Z and it's gone on to become a major Australian cultural
1: institution. Though it did take a while to smooth out the edges. Triple J's first three countdowns were all-time polls, so you could pick any song from any year. And for the first two years, four of the top five songs were the same, albeit in a slightly different order. Also, it seems, with countdowns come controversies, at least in Zed's case.
0: There was always bullshit about... um Oh yeah that that was rigged. No that band shouldn't have been in there at all but what you, what are you going to do you know how how are you going to weed out who's basically you know stacking the system and and who's not so you know I was, I was in a really bad band and we tried to get into the Hot 100 one year and we just missed out by two places but you know we just didn't have enough friends to to, to get us in oh, so, so 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 uh, people who like you know I was working at the, at the time and my band didn't make it on air so in the Hot 100 so people who say it was rigged well Unless those people who are theoretically rigging it um, hated my band, which is probably true as well.
1: And the other controversy, Triple J going national, well, that came and
0: went. Triple J had changed radically by the time it got to Brisbane. Uh, It was no longer the the Js that people had known, even the Sydney audience. And I guess what I
4: was saying was, you really got to play to your strengths, which is being Brisbane. And as long as Triple Z played to its strengths you know, it would still be fine.
0: But really, when it came down to it, they just didn't have the money to really realise their dream of having a national network. So at the end, what people were getting really was Sydney radio broadcast around Australia.
3: But away from the big cities, which did have triple Z and triple R and, you know, did have public radio, we probably had an even greater impact in a lot of smaller places. And one moment that really sticks out to me when I was hosting a morning show for a period was... I think someone called up and you could tell by the way they were speaking that they were a little bit nervous and they were from a city which didn't have public radio and they had never had programs that they could ring in and talk about things that were re- relevant to them as young Australians.
2: I think what we we had to focus on was keeping broadcasting, keeping everything on track and finding somewhere new to live.
0: And you know, the, being chucked off campus was one of the best things that could have happened. You know, people look at it as this you know, this, this heinous thing, and it was. It was a terrible assault on broadcasting. But in terms of Zed's future, it was one of the best things that could have happened to the station.
1: How do you think being kicked off campus affected the
2: station in the long run? That's a very good question. I think it was disastrous uh, at first, but with community support and the, the strength that Triple Z has, it sh- actually became the making of it. It didn't break us, and... And now you're still here. You're still going 45 years later.
1: This podcast was produced across the lands of the Turbal, Jagara, Yugara, and Nugumbare people. And we acknowledge that sovereignty over these lands was never ceded. This episode was produced by me, Max Rowley. I'm a volunteer at 4ZZZ and I host the show Brisbane Line. You can listen online at 4ZZZ.org.au. Executive producers are Grace Pashley and myself. Theme production by Lucy McAfee. Thanks to Stefan, Anita, Andy, Laurie, and also Donna Baines, Gary Williams, and Ann Jones. The music you heard was from Batswing Saloon, Pineapples from the Dawn of Time, Razor, Ups and Downs, Regurgitator, Splat Acrobat, Purple Avengers, and Scream Feeder. Thanks for letting us fill this episode with great Brisbane music. Go look them up and support independent artists. You can find most of these tracks on the Behind the Banana Curtain compilation. Big thanks to the volunteers who did a ton of archiving work in 2010, digitising reels and reels of tape kept in the basement filing cabinets of 4 Z. Make sure you subscribe to From A to Triple Z so you get updates every time we release an episode. We've got a few more to come. This podcast has been produced to tell some of our stories for our 45th birthday. If you like what you hear and want to support community radio for another four decades, you can head to www4 zorgau or visit the links in the show notes. To make a donation, buy some merch or even subscribe.
2: We want bananas! We want
3: bananas!